Well, we're continuing the series on questions Jesus asked. Last week, the question was, what does the scripture say? It was the story of the Good Samaritan. Um, and this, this week, we get a question about, that's asked to Jesus uh, about taxes. Who wouldn't love a sermon on taxes right before July 4th? Uh, make you feel very patriotic when you talk about taxes, I'm sure. Um, and so you may not know it or not, you may not realize it, but Jesus asked a lot of questions. He asked over 300 questions in the Gospels. People asked him over 180. So questions were a big part of his strategy, his tactics in communicating to us. That's nothing new. We see God in the Old Testament using a lot of questions, asking a lot of questions. It's how God communicates to us. It's how we discover who he is and what he's doing. Um, and in fact, if we consider the role of questions in Jesus' ministry, as I thought about this, I thought that's a, good, that's a good lesson for us. As we think about how to talk to other people about faith and spirituality, sometimes we think about what to say. We ought to think about what to ask, what questions to ask. Because Jesus was brilliant in the questions that he asked. Uh, and the responses. So this week, the question is about taxes. And I thought, well, that's kind of actually good timing because July 4th, we celebrate our independence from Britain as throughout the year, a lot of countries celebrate their independence from Britain. No offense to any British here. It just is what it is. On August 12th, we're going to be celebrating India's independence from Britain. Yeah, there you go. There you go. And, uh, this is a third year to do this. We do this to, to connect with the local Indian community. We had 850 last year at this event. We're going to have over 1,200 this year on our soccer fields. They come from all over, all over. So if you want to experience Indian music, food, dancing, it's going to be awesome. So August 12th, come out to the soccer fields. We need some volunteers to help us do that. It's awesome. And we got a great team in our church putting that together. But taxes were a big issue back then as they are now. Nobody's ever liked paying taxes. We'll see that in the story. But when the British Empire was expanding, they needed to raise more money, so they kept levying taxes on the colonists back then. And so they said, enough, enough. We're not doing that anymore. And that led to the Declaration of Independence and July 4th, okay? So taxes have always been a part of a saying. Nobody's ever enjoyed paying them. Um, but as we look at this story, we're gonna realize that while that might have been an issue of the day, and we got a lot of issues of the day that we're concerned about, you might have brought into this room. You might feel patriotic on July 4th, but you got some other issues in your mind about the direction of this country, that country, what's going on globally, some concerns on your heart. While Jesus might have been asked a question about an issue of the day, his real purpose was to remind them of something much more important that I think can be a great encouragement to us this morning, especially as we approach July 4th and what we see going on in the culture around us. So let's look at Matthew chapter 22, verses 15 through 22. So find that, and what, however you read your Bible, uh, if you have a Bible, if you have an app, open it up, Matthew chapter 15, or Matthew chapter 22, verses 15 through 22. Questions Jesus asked. So, there's a lot in here. I'm excited to get into this. We're going we're gonna, to uh, discover a lot just in this scene. Um, and like I said, it's not just a question about taxes. It's about something much more important that they needed to hear, and we need to remind ourselves of, the, of, of today. 
Matthew 22, verse 15. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know you're a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. So they brought him a denarius. And he asked them, Whose portrait is this? Whose image is on the coin? And whose inscription? Well, Caesar's, they said. Well, then he said to them, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. And when they heard this, they were amazed, so they left him and went away. So let's look at the characters in this story. Who do we have? We've got, a, we've got some, let me see this verse. All right. Then the Pharisees, who were the Pharisees? These were nationalists. These were people that believed in strict adherence to the Jewish law, that our identity is found in obeying the law. They did not like Roman oppression. They did not like Roman influence. They wanted to maintain purity of the law. They were ultra-nationalists. We would use that term maybe to describe now. But for some reason, they decided to form an alliance with a group called the Herodians, which were the exact opposite. They believed they supported Rome. They supported the Herods that, that ruled Judea at the time. They were more compromisers. So you had these two opposite groups coming together to try to trap Jesus in his own words. Common enemies often create strange alliances. We see that in our world. We see that in politics. Common enemy often creates strange alliances. And so they get together and they come up with this plan. Now, why are they so intent on trapping Jesus in his words? Because they don't like the fact that he's telling stories about them and parables about them, and he's criticizing them, and he's gaining a following. They think he's just another one of these many people who've come before claiming to be the Messiah. They think he's a trickster, a charlatan, and he's a false teacher. And so they get together, and they think, okay, how can we trap him? What's a question we could ask that he can't wiggle out of? Because he's pretty good at seemingly dodging our questions. And so they get together, and they say, this is a question we can ask. This is an issue in the culture, right? It's either a yes or no question. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? There's no way out of this for Jesus, they're thinking. You can't get out of this one. And no matter how he answers, he's going to upset somebody. He's going to lose some followers. He's either going to upset the Romans and they're going to arrest him, or he's going to upset the Jewish people because they think the Messiah, of course, would not be supportive of Rome. So they think they've got him. And it's actually a pretty smart strategy they put together. But Jesus, as we see throughout the Gospels, is not limited to our categories of yes or no. He's not limited to our options, okay, as we'll see. So they try to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples. They say, teacher, we know that you're a man of God. So notice what they do first. And we see this in our, in our world too. This is not something, nothing new that we're seeing here. What do they start with? Well, they say, well, we can't just drop the question on him. We can't just walk up and say, should, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? We should butter him up a little bit. Let's warm him up a little bit. We've all experienced that. We've had somebody do that to us, or we've done that to somebody else. I got a big question. I got a big issue I got to talk about. I can't just launch right into it. I need to kind of warm things up. 
So they probably think he's ego-driven, like every other person who claimed to be the Messiah before him. But they're not ego-driven folks aren't always sure what to do with folks that aren't ego-driven. And so they think they could appeal to his ego, kind of butter him up a little bit and say, okay, we know that you're a man of integrity and you, you teach the word of God in, the way, in truth and you don't care what people say. Now, if they really believe that, if they really believe that, why would they ask him a question they, that they think he's going to weigh his political options for? They've set themselves up. And so they think they've got him. You're not swayed because you pay no attention to who they are. But Scripture says that Jesus sees into the heart. It also says, um, like their use of flattery, that God does not like flattery. Luke uses the word duplicitous. He says the Pharisees and the Herodians were duplicitous. What does that mean? It means they faked concern for something, but their real purpose was something else. We see that in our world today. We see people who seem concerned about one thing, but their real objective is something else. They asked this question not because they cared about what Jesus thought about taxes. They weren't prepared to respond. Oh, Jesus said we shouldn't pay, so I guess we shouldn't pay. They were asking it in order to divide people. And we see that happening today, right? Duplicitous, seemingly concerned, fake outrage in order to divide. And that's what they were about. Well, Scripture says that God despises duplicitous divided hearts. Jesus said the pure in heart will see God. It was the duplicity of the religious leaders who were so, so caught up in maintaining their power and control that limited their ability to see Jesus for who he really was. The pure in heart will see God. We need to pray for purity of heart, that we not be duplicitous, that we not live with divided hearts. Psalm eighty-six, eleven: teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. And so he sees right through their trick, what, what they're trying to do. And they ask what is a classic, what we would call gotcha question. You've heard gotcha questions today. You see gotcha questions where a question is posed to somebody, not because anybody cares about what they have to say. But they just want to catch them in their words. A gotcha question. Sometimes I see that. We all have questions. I got questions. I've been a Christian since I was a little kid. I was raised in church. I have questions. We all got questions. The issue wasn't that the Pharisees or the Herodians had questions. The issue was the condition of their heart. It was hardened. It didn't matter how Jesus answered. Some of us, we have questions, but our mind is already made up. Our heart is hardened. And when Jesus encountered people that were either trying to justify themselves or trip him up, he usually told a story or answered a question a little more evasively. But when someone was humble and sincere, he would have a conversation with them, and he would answer that question. I think of Nicodemus, who went to him at, late at night, and they had this long conversation. But if he was just trying to justify yourself, or you're trying to trick him up, he was a master at getting out of that situation, but also pointing you to something that you needed to hear. Jesus just didn't answer questions. He answered the questioner. He dealt with the heart behind the question, which is what we're going to see. Because they didn't, didn't need his opinion on taxes. They needed to hear something much more important. They didn't need just an answer for a question about an issue of the day. They needed to hear something much more important, which we need as well. But why was this such, a, why was this such an issue? 
Um, why was this such an issue? What's the deal with the taxes? Why were they so concerned about the taxes? Nobody's ever liked paying taxes. This, this text is 2,000 years old. People didn't like paying taxes back then. What was the issue? Why were they so concerned about taxes? Was it because it was just so onerous and oppressive and they couldn't pay it? Maybe it was because they realized their money was going to support a Roman empire that was oppressing them and um, expanding and, and taking over other territories. What was the big deal? Well, the, the issue as to why this was so divisive and why this was so important is in Jesus' response. What does he say? Whose image is on the coin and whose inscription? So the coin that they would have been referring to, most likely, was the denarius, a coin of the seizure at the time named Tiberius. And every time a new emperor came to the throne, he issued a new coin. So this is the coin of Tiberius. That's his image on, the, on there. So what's the big deal? It's just a coin. The issue for the Jewish people at the time was not that this was oppressive or they were misusing the money or we don't like how they're managing our money. Some of the issues we use when we're talking about taxes now, right? The issue was deeper than that. It was theological. On one side of the coin, you had this inscription, Caesar Augustus Tiberius, son of the divine Augustus, son of God. And on the other side of the coin, you had Pontiff Maximum, high priest, supreme priest. The Caesar at the time claimed to be divine, and he claimed to be the great high priest for the, for the nation. And so to them, to the Jewish people, every time they paid that tax, it was like giving tribute and honor to idolatry. And so it was a theological issue for them. And as I reflected on that, sometimes we get caught up in the debates of the day, and we forget where God's involved in those things. And a lot of our discussions and, and concerns are theological. They're not just political. They're not just my opinion, your opinion. But what does God have to say? And what is our relationship to God in this matter? So they were upset because they felt like it was like contributing to idolatry. So I have a quarter. I found one of these. When's the last time we used a quarter? I don't know. Whose image is on the quarter? Anybody know? George Washington. All right. Very good. 830 crowd was a struggle with that. That's really good. All right. I'm just kidding. We, and we say in our, we don't pretend that any of our leaders are divine, right? We don't, we don't, we know better than that. We're not, we're claiming any of our leaders are divine. So we say in God, we trust in our coins. And Jesus, in order to answer that question, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? He says, whose image is on the coin? They say Caesar's. He says, well, give him his coin back. If it's his coin and he wants his idol back, then give it to him. I was waiting to see who would jump on that. That's <laughs> all right, guys, go ahead. It's just a quarter anyway. Um, I didn't use a dollar. I didn't use a 20 anyway. I didn't use a quarter. Jesus says, give him his coin back. What's the big deal? You've got greater concerns. You've got greater issues going on that you might have forgotten about, and I'm here to remind you. Give to Caesar what is Caesar, and give to God what is God's. Wow, there's a lot in that phrase. There's a lot in that sentence for us today. It's as if, for Jesus, the big issue was not paying taxes, but something much deeper. Don't be concerned about idolatry. If he wants his idol back, give it to him. Quit holding on to it. You're using it for buying and selling. Why won't you give it back to him when he asks for it? 
We can get caught up in the controversies of the day and miss what's most important. It's almost as if when we see this pattern with Jesus, like they wanted him to be concerned about Rome. They wanted him to, his, some of his followers wanted him to fight against the Roman authorities. You're the Messiah. You have, and he almost had this disregard for Rome and for human governments in general. Like, it's like he knew something that they didn't. And we see this again in a really powerful scene where Jesus is in front of Pilate, okay? So Jesus, this is when he's uh, going on trial. He's standing before Pilate. You can imagine he's in chains. And Pilate is saying it to him, do you refuse to talk to me? Don't you know who I am? I could have you killed or I could let you live. And what does Jesus say? You would have no power over me unless it was given to you by my father. Jesus has this attitude about human governments and human authorities. He says, there's someone higher than you that I answer to. There's another kingdom that has come that's going to outlast your kingdom. Your time, Pilate, will come and go. You can do to me what you will. But we know what happens three days later. Rome threw their absolute worst at Jesus, and three days later, what happened? He overcame. There's something about Jesus and the way he sees the, the authorities of the day, not, total, not really disregard, but like there's a higher power. There's a higher purpose. There's another kingdom that I'm representing that is eternal. And whatever's happened around here, whatever controversies we're dealing with now are temporary. And they've all been dealt with before. And they're nothing new. So get back to what's most important. That's the attitude I see in Jesus when he simply stands there. Now, I don't know about you, but if I had been in front of Pilate and he said, sticking his chest out, saying, do you know who I am? I can have you killed or let you live. Most of us, I'd be shaking. I'd be sweating. I'd be nervous. And Jesus looks at him calmly in the eye and says, you'd have no power unless... My father gave it to you. And he kind of has that attitude with Caesar and the taxes. If he wants his coin back, give it to him. But then he says, the real point of the story is not the tax question. The real point of the story is what Jesus says now. And give to God what belongs to God. See, Jesus wasn't just trying to teach them a lesson or answer a question about a tax question. It's like he was saying, the image on the coin tells us who that coin belongs to, right? Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. So whose image is on the coin? But whose image is on you? Whose image is on you? If the image on the coin tells us who that belongs to and what duty you have in in paying that back, then God's image on you what responsibility does that, who do you belong to, right? And what is your duty and responsibility? This was not just a, a, a way for Jesus to dodge a question. He's calling the religious leaders and everybody hearing him to repentance. He's saying there's another way, there's another kingdom here that has broken out. I know you're concerned about the issues of the day, but there's another kingdom that will last forever. Give to God's what is God's. The image is on the coin, give it to Caesar. The image of God is on you, give yourself to God. He's telling these Pharisees and Herodians, you spent your time conspiring to try to trip me up, try to maintain your power, and yet you claim to know God and want to teach people God's ways. And I'm here telling you what and showing you what it looks like to really know and trust God and follow him. Repent and give back to God what belongs to him. Stop your political conniving. Stop your trying to make alliances. 
Jesus calls all sides to his side. Jesus calls all sides to his sides. Left, right, up, down, center. The zealots in his group, he had zealots among his disciples that wanted to fight Rome. He had compromisers like tax collectors who had compromised with Rome. He had uh, Pharisees who were trying to trip him up. He had Herodians who didn't believe a word he said. Jesus calls all sides to his side. He doesn't, he's not stuck in the categories we're stuck in. He doesn't see the coin like we do. Give it to Caesar. But you be sure and give to God what belongs to God. Now, we don't, there's two applications here in what Jesus is saying, and I don't want to miss them. The first one is political. Let's not miss what Jesus is saying. What he said was controversial. Because in Rome, everything belonged to Caesar. And Caesar had a right to do whatever he wanted to. But Jesus says there's some things that don't belong to Caesar. And the people of God don't give to Caesar what belongs to God. He can have his coin, but he can't have our worship. He can have his coin, but he can't have our allegiance. We will not bow down to Caesar. We serve one king. To the Pharisees, he's saying, you actually have another king. Caesar is not your king. Give him his coin. Your king is God Almighty. Get back to giving to him what he deserves. So the political side, we cannot miss. The kingdom of God is here. It has arrived. It is eternal. It's never in danger. And Jesus was confident in that. Then there's the personal application. If God's image is on you, then what right does God, what claim does God have on you? The image was on the coin. Caesar had every right to claim it back for himself. If God's image is on you, what right does God, what claim does God have on your life? What have you taken from him that belongs to, you, to him? The things we're seeing in this world, in my mind, if Christianity is true, the things we're seeing are symptomatic of a people who have taken from God what belongs to him. We've broken that relationship. But the good news is Jesus came to restore that relationship and to show us what it means to give our lives back to God. Later in this same chapter, he'd be asked, what are the two greatest commandments? And he said, love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and in other versions, add strength. God's image is on you. He has every right to claim you. He has every right to call you back to himself and to say, love me with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And maybe in that equation, maybe in those categories, there's something that you've held on to and you haven't given over fully to God. Your soul, your mind. Maybe your mind is consumed with the news of the day and your YouTube feeds and your Facebook feeds, and your Instagrams. And you need to get back to meditating on God's Word and filling your mind with His truth and His Word. Maybe your heart is just not there. You're physically here, you're physically present, but your heart and your soul need some attention. Maybe you need to get back to worship and prayer and get, get connected to the body more deeply. Maybe your strength is not there. Maybe you're, 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 you're not serving, you're not connecting, you're not helping, you're not serving. Whatever it is, God has every right because his image is on you. He has every right to claim you for his own. And to say, give to me what belongs to me. Give to God what belongs to God. And they were amazed at what he said. People were amazed at Jesus' ability to heal, his power over death, his power uh, to forgive sins, and the wisdom he displayed in his teaching and his ability to answer tough questions. I'm sure in the audience, everybody was sitting there going, how's he going to answer this one? How's he going to get out of this one? There's no way out. But Jesus always pointed people back to God 
He answered the questioner and not just the question. And so today, as we think about the things that are on our minds and our hearts, if the image on the coin tells us who it belongs to, then what does God's image on you say? And what do we need to give back to God that maybe we've taken from him, that we've claimed for our own? We, as, a human, as human beings, we are relentlessly independent. We are fiercely independent, and we want to claim our lives as our own. But God has a claim on us because we are made in his image, and he has every right to call us back to himself. And the benefits far outweigh the things that we can get with taxes. The benefits of giving ourselves over to God far outweigh anything we can get from paying our taxes. So yes, we will pay our taxes, but our worship and our honor belong to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and that's it. There's some things that don't belong to Caesar and never will belong to Caesar, no matter what. what, I'm using the word Caesar as government and culture. No matter what government and culture might claim on us, we are God's people. His image is on us. His kingdom will never end, and he's our focus. So let's give back to God what belongs to him. Father, thank you for your word today. I'm unworthy to uh, teach it and interpret it. Father, thank you for your reminder that there's always something more important than what we're dealing with, Father. Thank you for your reminder that your image is on us and you love us and you know us and you've called us back to yourself. Father, our minds and our hearts can be concerned about so many things and consumed with so many things. But Jesus, thank you for not just giving us simple answers to questions we might have, Father, but always reminding us of whose we belong to and calling us back to yourself. Holy Spirit, take the words that have been shared. Take the scripture, Lord, Holy Spirit, as we, as we leave this place and, and drive it down into our hearts. Show us how to obey. And if there's an opportunity to share this story with someone, Father, I pray you'd give us that opportunity and the boldness to do so. Thank you, Jesus, for your love for us, your patience with us, and that we have your image on us. And that's a glorious, wonderful thing and an amazing honor and privilege. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.